and made an amazing impact for God. And today I want to start with this, and i got to hurry because we don't have much time. We're going to talk about Adam and Eve starting at the very beginning. Now you might say, now Adam and Eve, Mel, ordinary superhero? Well, we're going to highlight the ordinary this week, right? Because Adam and Eve were the first people created by God. They were created perfectly, but sadly they disobeyed God and sin came into the world as a result of that. I believe with all my heart that Adam and Eve are going to be in heaven. They're going to be there. They were the first humans on the planet. True story about real rebellion against God. And what I thought I'd look at today as we look at the life of Adam and Eve is life's defining convictions. If somebody asked you, what's a defining conviction of your life that motivates how you live? What would those convictions be? Well, I think we find three powerful convictions that will allow you to live more effectively for Jesus Christ when we look at the story of Adam and Eve, these real people that God created. I think you know that I'm a creation versus evolution buff. I love reading articles and studying that topic. And the more I read, the more I study, the more I am convinced of the scientific evidence for a creator God that made Adam and Eve the first humans just like the word of God says. The bottom line is this. Your success as a follower of Jesus Christ will be determined by three great convictions that define the course of your life and your eternal life. So as we go through these convictions, ask yourself, do I live by this conviction? I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Real easy to find. The beginning of our Bibles, page 2 in the chair Bibles. Now, if you look at chapter 2, you're seeing that uh, Adam is naming all the animals, right? And he realizes he's naming them all that not one of them is like him. You know, that, oh, that's an elephant, not like me. That's a giraffe, not like me. That's a lion, not like me. Then the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. So then you uh, go down to chapter 2, verse 20. It says this, so the Lord ca- God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones. Do you see that in chapter two? The relief of Adam, if you retranslate that in the expanded Hebrew version of the Bible, Adam looked at Eve and said, hubba, hubba, whoa, whoa. Perfect, God, thank you. Like me, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, what did God actually say? God said, you can eat of every tree in the garden except one. Which one was that? The tree of the what? The knowledge of good and evil. God said, enjoy everything in the garden. This was the only utopia the world has ever known, my friends. And God said, enjoy it all. But God created Adam and Eve with the freedom to choose. And God said, you're to enjoy every tree of the garden, but there's one you're to stay away from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, you will die. Let's see what happens. 
Satan switches it a little bit, right? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You, know, you notice what he's doing there? He's kind of highlighting, oh, wait a minute. He didn't give you total freedom to eat of any tree you wanted? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, God never really said that. God never said you shall, if you touch it, you shall die. She adds words to the word of God, which is always a, a bad plan. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave it to her husband also who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Hey, I want you to know, I truly believe this is a real story. You know, I know in, in, in uh, the evolutionary process, as people who are atheists try to defend evolution, initially, like Charles Darwin, believed that there were pockets of evolution that occurred throughout the planet, leading to the different quote-unquote races on the planet. Now, I believe there's only one human race, and I believe that's proven genetically. There's only one human race that God has created. But Darwin believed there were pockets of evolution that led to the various races that we have or the varieties that we have in the human population. But I think you know that scientists have done a sampling of the DNA of people groups around the world and have made this conclusion that all of us have descended from one human mother. Amen. All of us have done that. In fact, let me give you a quote of that. Studies of, and they call her mitochondrial Eve because they were studying the mitochondrial DNA that women passed down to their descendants. The scientist wrote this, studies of mitochondrial Eve and Y-chromosome Adam traced back the origin of humanity to a single ancestral sequences, namely single man and single woman, also known as Adam and Eve. Mitochondria, which contains its own DNA and are inherited only from the mother. Mitochondrial Eve is the woman who was the most recent common female of all humans. Again, science supporting what the Word of God says all along, that God created the first man and the first woman, and we have all descended from this first human couple, the entire world's population. And all the diversity that we see on the planet was placed genetically into Adam and Eve, allowing for all of the varieties of skin color and hair texture and all the varieties, short and tall, that we see on the planet today. See, this was a real story that happened, and the Bible says exactly where it happened, near the Tigris and Euphrates. We don't know exactly where the Garden of Eden was, but we know the start of humanity was right in that region where God created Adam and Eve. That's where it all started. 
And this couple was placed in an amazing garden of Eden, the utopia that God created, and given the option to choose to obey God or disobey God. And sadly, they disobeyed God. They did not live happily ever after, but they disobeyed him in that garden. That, that one event in human history when they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and ate it together. And notice, Adam was with his wife Eve. Adam was right there and gave into that disobedience as well. That impacted the entire human race. It impacted you and me. Theologians call it original sin. What is the doctrine of original sin? It doesn't just refer to the first sin, but really refers to all the implications of it. For to define it, it's this. The tendency to sin is innate in all human beings and was inherited from Adam as a consequence of the fall. The Bible refers to it as our sin nature. We inherited it from Adam. He was the head of the human race. And in him, the Bible says, we were in essence all represented So when Adam fell, we fell. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That original sin impacts us all. But when I read this text, there's one thing that sticks out uh, to me right from the beginning. And it's this. If you were there with Eve when the serpent, who is Satan, by the way, we'll talk about that in a second. When Satan was tempting Eve to disobey God, Saying, you're not going to surely die. You'll be like God if you eat of this, of this true, uh, fruit. You'll be like him. Here's the thing I would love to ask Eve. Eve, who's in charge of your life? Who do you take your marching orders from every day? And it's the first defining conviction that we ought to have, the conviction to allow God to control your life. Every day, not just when you're here at church and you're singing the songs and opening up the Word of God, but every day in your marriage, at school, in the workplace, that you are determined to allow God to control your life. See, the moment that Satan began to undermine the Word of God, Eve should have said, wait, wait a minute. No, no, Satan, you're, wait, I'm following God. I'm going to follow his word. I'm not going to follow your lies because anything that is contradictory to the word of God is deception and lies. And that's true today, my friends. Everything contrary to the word of God is deception and lies. And people will often begin to doubt the word of God and begin to follow their own desires or follow the thinking of this world. But today we need to say, you know what? God is in control. And the more we look into the word of God and allow it to feed us, then the better off we truly are. You know, the Bible says that after the fall, God cursed the serpent to go on its belly. No longer would it walk on legs. There's a museum that has a depiction of what that serpent was like as somehow, we don't fully understand it, Satan used that serpent to speak through that serpent and deceive Eve and cause her to disobey God. How do we know it's Satan? Well, the Bible tells us. In Revelation 12, it says, the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Now, I know, I I meet people quite often that will say, "Eh, do you believe there's a Satan? Do you believe there's these demonic forces? Absolutely. And I've had moments in my life that have only confirmed that very powerfully. 
But the reality is Jesus spoke with Satan. He interacted with Satan. Satan tempted Jesus. So he's a real being. And whether or not we fully understand everything he does or fully understand why he's given the freedom that he has, we should believe this from the core of our being, that Satan exists. Now, now there's two errors that people often make. One is to doubt the existence of Satan. The other is to give him too much attention, too much credit, and too much power. Satan is not an infinite being. He's not all everywhere present. He's not all-powerful. But Satan obviously is active in the world today. What does the Bible say about Satan? It says this. And the word Satan comes from the Hebrew word for adversary. He's a created being. He was a guardian cherub, one of the most beautiful created things that God made. A guardian cherub, the Bible calls him in Ezekiel 28. He was filled with pride, though, and wanted to be like God and wanted to supplant God and take over God's position. That's what it tells us in Isaiah 14. Satan and his demons and those angels that fell with Satan are cunning, yet limited in their knowledge, power, and actions. Again, we need to know that Satan is not everywhere present. He's not all-powerful. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is what? In you than he that is in the world. So we know that if we are followers of Christ, we have all the power we need to overcome the temptations of Satan and his desire to destroy us. In Ephesians 6, the Bible says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to what? Devour, to destroy. We don't want to be one of his victims. So in your marriage, in your family, in your own personal life, you need to know there's a spiritual battle raging around you. And it began right here in the Garden of Eden. It's, it's happening. Please don't deny the existence of Satan. Then he has you right where he wants you. He wants you to doubt his existence. But we know he is a, a being with power and wisdom. Not infinite power, not infinite wisdom but he knows quite a bit about what's going on in this world. Here's another thing we need to understand. That the plan is to undermine the work of God in your life. The Bible says he is to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. That's his desire in our lives. To kill, to steal, and destroy. That's why it's so important for us to pour into the word of God. That's why it would have been so good for Eve to say, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm not listening to what you're saying. You're undermining the message of God. You're undermining the words of God. God said, the day I eat of it, I shall surely die. And that's exactly what happened, by the way. She didn't physically die the moment she ate it, but she spiritually died. The Bible says that all of us are spiritually dead. In Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The moment that she ate of it and Adam ate of it, spiritual death came into the world and her spirit died. That relationship, that close walk with God that they had in the Garden of Eden was broken and they died spiritually. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. His desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us ultimate victory over sin and death and Satan. That's why Jesus came. 
That's why we have the cross up front, right? Because the cross is where the victory was won. When Jesus laid down his life for you and for me, he died for my sins, what I've done wrong. And it's not about jumping through all of these hoops to get to heaven. It's about placing your faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, laid down his life on the cross, not as a weak martyr, but as a powerful victor who was chasing death and destroyed death on the cross. So today, brothers and sisters, I want us all to determine, I'm going to follow God. God is in control of my life. I will not allow allow anyone else to take control of my life. Hebrews 2 says this, But through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, you were slaves to sin and evil before you came to Christ. But Christ set us free. I love the old Bob Dylan song, right? He said, Bob Dylan, you have to serve somebody. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the what? The devil, or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And there are people that will tell me, oh, you know, I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm not serving the devil. Well, the Bible says this. If you're not for me, Jesus said, you're what? Against me. Wow, those are powerful words by Jesus. If you're not for me, if you're not promoting my truth in your life and in your family and with those around you, then you're against me. See, there are some common attacks that Satan makes on believers. Here's the first one, that God's word is misrepresented. See, in Genesis chapter 3, God's word is misrepresented. Satan starts off by saying, hey, did God actually tell you, chapter 3, verse 1, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See, it sounds so negative when he says it. He changes, he misrepresents the word of God. I can't tell you how many times I've met people who've misrepresented the word of God. They'll say, well, the Bible says, I said, no, the Bible never says that. Well, the Bible says, no, it never says that. There's no verse like that in the Bible. Where did you get that? You're misrepresenting the word of God. People reject the word of God when they don't even truly know what it says because it's been misrepresented. That's one of Satan's attacks. Even Eve misrepresented it by adding to the word of God. Did God actually say, was he really that restrictive? See, what Satan's trying to do is undermine what God says. What Satan's trying to do is say, how unfair, how unkind of God to make that restriction. Here's the next thing that Satan does, that God's demands are unreasonable. That they're unreasonable. How unfair not to be able to eat of any tree you want to. See, and sometimes we can begin to think that way as well, right? When hardships come into our life, we think, God, I feel like you're unfair, you're unkind. But the reality is this. We live in a world that's rebelling against God every day. You read Romans 1. God talks about the fact that we've turned our back on him. And sometimes there are times when he allows us to feel the full exposure of our sin on this world, the full impact of a rebellion against God. That's why it's so important to turn back to God and draw near to him. Here's another way that Satan attacks believers. God's promises are false. Notice what the Satan says. He says, you will not surely die. God's lying. He's lying to you. 
That same strategy is used on us at times. We sometimes doubt the word of God or the promises of God. May we leave this place determined to be people that say, if God said it, he's going to do it. If God said it, every promise that he gave us, he will fulfill. God will do everything he said, and everything he said is true. But Satan was deceived. He says, you'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God's words are misrepresented. They're undermined. Uh, God is accused of being unfair and unkind. And the promises of God are deemed to be false by Satan. See, we need to follow God and his word. I want to challenge us all to love the word of God and its principles. That God is not acting with evil motives. See, he's, he's accusing Satan as God of evil motives. God knows that you're going to experience something really good if you disobey God. Hey, bottom line, if you disobey God, something good's going to happen. But God has evil motives. The reality is God loves us and Satan wants to destroy us. So how should we approach the word of God? Here's what I would tell you this morning. Don't add to it like Eve did. Eve said, oh, if we touch it, we're going to die. No, God never said that. Don't add to the word of God. Never do that. Don't change it. Don't alter it. Don't complicate it. Don't complicate it. I've had people over the years say to me, well, Mel, if you take the first letter of every book in the Bible and you reverse it and it forms this word, which is an amazing... No, you're complicating the Word of God. Just read the Word of God for what it is. It doesn't have some secret subliminal message hidden in the text. Read the Word of God. Don't complicate it. Don't spiritualize it. Make it practical in your life. So many people take the Word of God and spiritualize it. At that one party I was at a couple of weeks ago, oh, that's not what Jesus meant when he said, uh, anyone who believes in me will not perish. He didn't really mean that. You're you're misinterpreting that verse. It's the clear teaching of the Word of God. How can you change the meaning that Jesus gave us in that verse? Don't spiritualize it. Don't change it. Here's what we should do. Obey the Word of God. To take the Word and obey it. Adam and Eve, who's in control of your life? It needs to be God. And all of us today need to leave this place knowing that we are truly free when we make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. Have you ever met people that you're talking about Jesus and they're like, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. And you're talking about your church and oh, oh cool, that's cool. And you know they're not connecting with you, right? You know they say they believe but they're not really connecting with you. You don't feel like they really know Jesus. And I've come to this conclusion. It's about who controls your life. It's about the lordship. Jesus said that we ought to accept him as Lord and Savior, right? Not only take all the benefits of salvation, but say to Jesus when we put our faith and trust in him, hey, Jesus, you're worthy to follow. I want to follow you. I want you to be the Lord. That means I want you to control my life. I want you to control my life. I I played basketball in college, and I enjoyed playing basketball in college. But I later became a coach of a couple of college teams. And I fought this so many times when I was controlling that team as coach. There are so many things you're looking for in your players. And I thought so often to myself, I wish I had been a coach before I became a player. Amen? 
I wish I was a coach before I was a player because I now know as a coach what I'm longing to see in all of my players. It would have helped me to be a better player in college. See, the more we understand about Jesus and who he is, the more we understand how he needs to be in control of our lives and for us to be the kind of follower of his that he desires in all of us. Here's the second conviction. It's this, the conviction of focus on godly pursuits and callings. Do you notice what happens in the text here? It says that Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was desirable to eat. You feel like saying to, 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 to Eve there, Eve, why are you even looking at that fruit? God's given you so much to enjoy, all the trees of the garden to enjoy. Get involved in those things. Check out those trees and their fruit. You're looking at the one tree God told you not to eat from. Where's your focus? And if I look at my life, there are times I can be so busy with different things and so distracted by the cares of this world that it takes me away from a godly focus. The conviction that we ought to have is the conviction to have a focus on godly pursuits and callings. Parents, that you would be parents that would be passionate about living out your faith in front of your kids. That that would be the greatest gift you could give your kids is a legacy of a mom and a dad who followed Christ and loved Jesus. Grandparents, same thing. We have this amazing grandparents ministry here as well. That grandparents would be an effective witness to their grandkids for Jesus Christ. That we would pursue godly things in our marriage. Uh, Husbands who really love and cherish their wives. Husbands who want to mirror the attitude of Christ in everything they do. That they would truly live out Jesus in their marriage. To be a witness in the workplace and in our neighborhoods, to people who are groping in darkness, who have not met their creator, who have not met what it means to follow Jesus. Are you focusing on godly pursuits? We become so busy. We, we focus on other things than godly things. We work so hard at our play, right? We work so hard at our play, and we miss out on the awesome things that God has for us. I want to ask you today, where's your focus? See, Eve was focusing on the one thing she was told not to eat from. She saw that it was desirable to eat, and she disobeyed God. The Bible says this, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it, and gave it to her husband. Here's the sad words, who was with her at the time. See, here's three key areas we need to understand. Focus on drawing near to God versus drawing near to sin. Eve, you were wise to say, don't even touch the fruit. Don't even go near it. Don't focus on it. Stay away from it. The Bible says this in James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Here's the second thing. Focus on the freedom of pleasing God versus the trap of pleasing yourself. Focus on pleasing God. Versus the trap of pleasing yourself, like the dog who's chasing its tail, never quite gets there, never quite satisfied, never quite enough. That's the trap of pleasing yourself. But there's a freedom that comes in pleasing God. 
The Bible says this, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. How do you submit again to a yoke of slavery? By disobeying God and following your own selfish desires instead of following the desires of God. Here's the next thing. Focus on acting upon the truth of God versus falling for the deception of this world. Believe the word of God. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I was uh, speaking at the FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Carlsbad High School this week. And I shared this with them, and I think I've shared it with you a number of times. That I've never met a person that has said to me, Mel, my life is ruined because I disobeyed God. I mean, I'm sorry, my life is ruined because I obeyed God. I've never heard that. But I have heard time after time, my life is ruined, Mel, because I feel like I disobeyed God and my life is ruined. I've heard that time after time. I've never heard anyone say, hey, I've obeyed God and my life is ruined. Never heard that. So focus on acting upon the truth of God. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And here's the third conviction. I'm going to close with this. The conviction to take responsibility for your sins and failures. Do you see what happens when God confronts Adam and Eve? God confronts Adam. What have you done? Adam says, the woman you gave me, right? And the, the woman, God, that you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. God confronts Eve. What does she do? The serpent deceived me and I ate it. Everyone's pointing fingers at everyone else. Church, today, don't blame anyone else for your decisions or the way you're living. Take responsibility for your life, for your sins and your failures. See, uh, there's a number of things we can do. We can rebel against God. I'm not following God. That's your choice, and there are implications for that. There are consequences for that choice. You can rationalize. You can explain it away. Hey, I'm disobeying God because of this person over here or that person's influence or these circumstances. It's called blame shifting. Or you can do this. You can repent and say, hey, I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to follow him. So as we close, let me give you a few things. Realize the price that Jesus set, paid to set us free. Realize that awesome price he paid to set us free from our selfishness and a world in rebellion against God. Remember the eternal stakes and implications of the spiritual battle you're in. You're in a spiritual battle. And reaffirm your commitment to cooperate with the work of God in your life. Say, God, I, I want you to do work in my life. I want to submit to you. I don't want to follow anyone else. You're in control of my life from this day forward. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. And as your heads are bowed, my prayer would be that these defining convictions of your life, that you would own them. God, you're in control of my life. My focus of my life is to pursue you, God, and godly pursuits in my life. And Lord, I'm not going to rationalize or blame shift anymore about my sin, but take responsibility and change. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for being here with us. Lord, I pray that you would change us by your power. Lord, I pray that you would make us more and more like you each and every day because we love you, Lord. You gave your life for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Worship to the Lord, all the earth let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to 
Bible studies and the men's Bible studies that are out there. We have elders up front who love to pray with you and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio. Deep in